Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 28, Know Your Pharmacist. This is the second part of an interview with pharmacist Don Kim. We talk about psychoeducation, psychotropic medications, and the danger of mixing certain medications. I believe this will help you to make a better decision about your overall health care. As an example, for myself, I took Lexapro for anxiety, for depression, and I don't think there should be any shame associated with our mental health. I think being mentally healthy and physically healthy go hand in hand. Again, you can't separate the mind from the body. I think it's very, very important that people understand that these medications help a lot of people out. Dr. Dong Kim is a patient-focused pharmacist with more than 15 years of experience. He has a Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of the Pacific. He also has a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Cell Biology from the University of California at San Diego. Listen as Dong and I discuss pharmaceuticals to empower you to make the best decisions for your overall health. Dong, as a pharmacist, what is your perspective on mental health and medications? The mind and the body function as one. Always. There is no disconnect between the mind and the body. To maintain a healthy brain, a healthy mood, to be aware of what's going on in your body will serve you so much more than relying only on medication. These drugs are awesome and they've saved countless lives. In the past, when we didn't have these medications, people would treat themselves with alcohol and other drugs to self-medicate. People need to know that these medications can open the door to changing their lives. I think medication and counseling therapy go hand in hand. I don't think that... 50-50. Yeah, I mean, you can just take the medication. You can rely on the medication to help you through the tough parts. But unless you're going to work on those tough parts and learn how to deal with those tough parts, Mm -hmm. it actually goes back to what we were talking about before. Hey, let's just take the medication and not work on this other huge problem. That's what a lot of people say about medication. That's maybe the irresponsible way to go about it. Take the medication, give your body what it needs, and be working on whatever situation is causing that problem and evolve, learn from it, move forward. Yeah, I'm on that. Become a better person because of it. You've got that knowledge now that you didn't have before. It's just trying to become a better you, right? We're just trying to become better. I think that there should be more talk about mental health, especially with men. Like, there's very little talk. I totally agree. And maybe women are more prone to talk with each other about personal issues. But I found in casual conversation, when I say I talk to my counselor, I still have women friends that do a double take. Receiving counseling has been a normal part of my life since my late 20s. For me, it's like saying I went to the gym or the chiropractor. There's no distinction. But I still see on some people's faces like, whoa, what's that all about? I totally agree. I think that therapy should be a right, not a privilege. Mm -hmm. 
it should be more widespread and we would live probably in a better world if everybody got a chance I'm with you on that <laughs> it's a huge motivator for this podcast yeah. to shine more light on mental health yeah and that it is just like any other health it's you and, can't separate and, it right and if we don't keep talking about it it tends to go by the wayside the more that we talk about it have podcasts about it the more educators are out there discussing it being able to be open and i really think that shame comes from ignorance and what i mean by ignorance is ignoring hmm. or not being educated the more that we stop ignoring what's going on with ourselves with our friends and our family with our kids yeah and start talking about it and helping each other mm -hmm. and pointing each other in the right direction the, the better off we're going to be if we do this for our generation the next generation hopefully we'll be even better off hopefully I think that psychotropic medications for depression, anxiety, are a great pathway towards helping people mm -hmm. understand what's going on in their brain, mm -hmm. why they're anxious, why they're depressed, and how to deal with those emotions. Oftentimes, people will avoid going to get counseling because it's so overwhelming and it's so triggering. Let's mm. say there was an event where they can't reach homeostasis enough to be able to work on the problem. Right. That's where I see where medication has been awesome and yeah. it can help rest the nervous system enough right. to be able to start doing that work and right. feeling better. And then mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of cases where the person can get off the medication after that. That's where I see it's more of a situational anxiety. And there's a difference between situational anxiety and biological anxiety. The genetic issue that's happening in the nervous system and the brain chemistry. Again, you can't separate the mind from the body. No. If the mind is not well, I can guess that the body is not doing so well. When people have, for example, an anxiety attack, it shows up and it manifests mm -hmm. physically. As an example, for myself, I took Lexapro for years. I took Lexapro for anxiety, for depression, and I don't think there should be any shame associated with our mental health. I think being mentally healthy and physically healthy go hand in hand. Right. I think it's very, very important that people understand that these medications help a lot of people out. How did it help you? What was the difference for you before taking Lexapro and then after? Well, I didn't really recognize the anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think when I was anxious that it sort of morphed, it came out as anger or me pulling back, isolating myself from things. And I think that it helped me deal with learning how to understand what was happening when I grew anxious or I felt anxiety rushing through my body and having very little control over what was going on. Did you have the experience after being on Lexapro of establishing a new norm? I think it did. It caused a new baseline to be formed yeah. for me. And Where that's so important. I've had anxiety my whole life. When I got on the right medication, which actually hasn't been until recently, I have a new baseline that's so much more fulfilling. I can distinguish I'm feeling stressed about this particular thing, but it's not this overall pervasive dread that I think I felt most of the time. Yeah. So anything else that you'd like to share about taking Lexapro and, and what a difference that made for you? 
I think that it helped me at a time when I needed help, a time when I decided that I needed to deal with these negative emotions and anxiety and depression. And it helped me, like you said, raise myself to a new baseline Mm -hmm. and help me work through what was really bothering me at the time. Psychotropic medications are basically capable of affecting the mind, the emotions, and behavior. They could be very powerful. Can you explain how psychotropic medications work? When we're talking about antidepressants, anti-anxiety or mood stabilizers, Mm -hmm. covering the antidepressant slash anti-anxiety meds such as SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and SNRIs, the serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, make up the bulk of the medications that are used by the population now. Can you explain to me from a biochemical perspective how those medications actually work? SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. In your brain, there are nerves and there's a space between these nerves called the synapse. And on one end is the neuron that is releasing these neurotransmitters. On the other end of the synapse is the one that is receiving these neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters affect your mood, your sense of well-being, and what SSRIs, such as Soloft, Paxil, Lexapro, Prozac was the first one, the, the prototype. What they do is stop the releasing neuron from reuptaking those released neurotransmitters. Those neurotransmitters are released and sucked back up at some point. And mm-hmm. what these medications do is stop that process. Those chemicals are not getting sucked back up as quickly? As quickly. What's happening is that they're staying in the synapse longer and than normal. And how does that affect our mood then? If those chemicals are staying in that synapse longer? A lot of people are depressed or anxious because they don't have enough serotonin hitting those receptors. Mm-hmm. Is it that they don't create enough serotonin? It could be they don't create enough serotonin. It could be that their serotonin uptake is faster. It could be just that they need more mm-hmm. to feel better. Mm-hmm. And these medications slow down the process of reuptake. Okay. And for someone who actually needs that, then their mood is uplifted, probably clearer thinking. Better mood, less anxiety. What is the difference between an SSRI and an SNRI? The SNRI, the serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, consists of Effexor, Pristique, Duloxetine, Cymbalta. Those all selectively inhibit the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter that has to do with fight or flight or get up and go. It it tends to be more activating than the SSRIs Mm -hmm. because we're keeping the norepinephrine in the synapse longer than normal, which helps stabilize some people's moods or Mm -hmm. can be used to treat pain, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. What is the most dangerous combination of drugs that you've seen that doctors are prescribing? The most dangerous combination is a three-drug cocktail, the first being an opioid with a muscle relaxer and adding on top a benzodiazepine. And why would a doctor ever prescribe this combination? That's an interesting question. In general, I think that 
it's not one doctor that's writing all three, but it's two or three doctors that are oh, writing. Oh, and so the patient is getting these different medications from different doctors. Yes. And using them together. Do you think people are doing this on purpose or is this a great mistake? That's a really complicated question. I think it has a lot to do with people, again, wanting to feel better. That combination of medications. You're going to feel good if you take it. People should know that anytime that they take any type of opioid or opiate-derived medication, what happens is that when it's consumed, it's converted into morphine. And that's the active ingredient. That's scary. Yeah. So do you see people with this prescription or do you see two out of three of these drugs being prescribed? More often than I like. Ooh, so how do you handle that as a pharmacist? I counsel the patient. I actually put it in the computer. I will force the counsel on this patient. Okay. Write notes for whatever pharmacist has to counsel the patient. Mm -hmm. That's number one, just to cover my butt because there's a lot of factors going into why these people need these medications. They can have lower back pain. I see that all the time. They can have tremendous pain and it's helping them with their pain and it's helping them function through life. And I'm not going to judge them. I don't know what they're going through. I mean, I have no idea, but I think I have a responsibility to warn them and tell them that this is not a safe combination of medications Mm -hmm. to take. Mm -hmm. And there are more than I like. Yeah. What's their response when you tell them? Most of the time they're very nonchalant or I've been taking this for years. (laughs) And that's okay, but I'm going to warn them every single time. Good. Yeah, I think they should know. Someone should tell them that this is not a a safe combination Mm -hmm. of medications. I don't want to pass judgment. A lot of the pain centers in the area will write for two out of the three, and then maybe the patient will get the other third with their primary care doctor. Do you see the same pain doctor over and over prescribing these same medications? Yes. Okay. There's a few. DEA, don't come to me. It's not my fault. (laughs) And this combination is a Schedule 2. Is that right? One is always, that's not true. I mean, you could get Tylenol number threes or Tylenol number fours, which have codeine in them, consume those, take a muscle relaxer. At one point, Soma was uncontrolled. It wasn't even scheduled. Mm -hmm. It wasn't considered an addictive drug by the FDA. Mm -hmm. And up until recently, it became a Schedule 3 in, I think, all of the states. And now I believe Louisiana has made Soma a Schedule II medication, which puts it in the same group as morphine, Norco, mm-hmm. and those other medications. And when it becomes about. a Schedule II or a Schedule three, can you explain what that means? The FDA, with the DEA, I believe, made a classification of medications that have addictive potential. Mm-hmm. Those have been scheduled as Schedule one, which are street drugs, cocaine, heroin, marijuana, Schedule 2, which are highly regulated, mostly pain and ADHD medications. Every pharmacy will have a record of every prescription, the quantity of those particular medications on hand. Those records will always be available. Like whenever I get my daughter's ADHD medication. Correct. Signatures and driver's license. Yep, you need a license, full address, Mm -hmm. picture, (laughs) thumbprint, no. But as you go down the scheduling list, Schedule 3 is less addictive potentials, and then Schedule 4. Schedule 5, I think, is Robitussin with codeine cough medication. I know that our audience will enjoy hearing what you have to share, and I thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Erica. That was really fun. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, thank you. 
As the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine increases in 2021, you will be able to get vaccinated at your doctor's office, pharmacy, and hospital. So how will you know when it's your turn? Your state's health department website should have more details on their particular vaccine rollout, but most health districts are following the CDC guidelines. In phase one, healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities will receive the vaccine. In phase two, people who are 75 and older and frontline essential workers will receive the vaccine. These people include grocery store clerks, waiters, bus drivers, police, firefighters, and more. The third phase includes people who are 65 to 74 years old and people who are 16 to 64 years old who have a medical condition that is high risk. If you don't fit into any of these categories, you'll need to wait to get the COVID-19 vaccine. If you want clarification, you can ask your local pharmacist. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to highlight some of the main points from my interview with pharmacist Don Kim. In the beginning, he says that taking psychotropic medications can be life-changing. I agree. If needed, taking medication can balance your body's neurochemistry as opposed to self-medicating with alcohol and non-prescription drugs. I also want to emphasize that medication and counseling go hand in hand. Counseling helps you learn new ways of coping with the tough parts of life. This can help you evolve, learn, and move forward. I'm encouraged to hear Dong say that mental health is a right and not a privilege. I too believe that everyone should have access to mental health services. People must receive help when they need it most. Dong then talks about how SSRIs and SNRIs work in the body to help brain health. In episodes 15 and 16, I also talked to Roger Walk about how these medications manage your serotonin and norepinephrine neurotransmitters. Also, I want to bring clarity and remove some fears about taking medication for mental health. Here are three myths. Myth number one is that psychotropic medications are for weak people who can't take care of their problems. It actually takes enormous courage to seek treatment. In combination with counseling, medications can significantly improve a person's life and lighten problems. And for some with mental illness, medication is necessary to function every day. Myth two is that psychotropic medications are addictive. Know that most of these medications are not addictive. Sedatives and stimulants are the exception. Myth three is that you'll feel better right away. First, you have to build up to the right dosage and take it for at least four to six weeks. This goes for both antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. It might also take a bit of time to find the right type of medication, but hang in there. The benefits are worth it. Lastly, the most common reason people don't take their medication is due to a lack of awareness of their mental illness. This is especially true for people with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Medication is essential for the treatment of these illnesses. For more on this episode and other great resources, make sure to check out the show notes. In episode 29, I talked to yoga teacher Jess Golding about having agency in relation to your well-being. She also highlights ways to appreciate everyday life from a yoga perspective. 
When I think of having agency, I think of having the ability to create change. I'm having my body's experience and simultaneously learning about how my body responds to thoughts, feelings, actions, so that I can then apply my own medicine. You can allow everyone in the world around you to be your teacher about your own experience. Until next time, please subscribe and rate the show. Also, tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.